Hi, I'm Steve. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jamie. I've never played D&D. I've never played that. D&D. I knew that because you no. did that D&D. Not D&D con. Not D&D con. Yes. Yeah, I started off on RuneQuest. So you never played D&D? No. Normally I'd want to ask lots of follow-up questions about not playing <laughs> D&D, but what I'd love to know is how deep into RuneQuest did you get? Because people deep. get real deep into deep. that. We played it for about three years. Mm-hmm. Every Sunday afternoon, um, my big brother and his girlfriend at the time and two other friends... And we mostly played the same characters those whole times. So did you get into like the uh, the cults and the yep. political... The ducks. Stuff? Yeah, the ducks. And yeah. the ducks had a... They were like a race of ducks. Like okay. human... Like Howard the Duck. Okay. Um, and they had a special type of drug that was like duckweed. And there was one episode where we all just got high on it. Everything went orange. Duckweed, yeah. <laughs> did you sing that song as well? I yeah. probably did. Yeah. How old were you when you um, started? When I started, uh, 14. 14. Mm. Yeah. Right through to, yeah, it was like most of my high school years. Right. For me, it was, uh, there was Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. or, well, it was advanced Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> at the time. Um, and then there was the Steve Jackson Fighting Fantasy. The Advanced right. Fighting Fantasy. That's and, the one. Yeah, yeah. yeah did, the, did you play the, the role-playing game? After? Yeah, we did, actually. There was a, um, there was a, like a law book in the library, and so that got <laughs> perused, you know. Um, but yeah, we same characters used... the whole time. Uh, no, it was it was you know when you're running when you're like nine or ten years old and you're running the gym, gymming mm. for a, a couple of like eight year olds. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's there are limits. There are limits. <laughs> um, they were exploring things Possibly like some bad choices being made. Well, you know, it's, it's you make all of the classic gym mistakes, right? Like they walk into the um, they walk into the bar, and you're like, well, what do you want to do? And you're expecting them to go into the corner and talk to the wizard. Uh, and what they say is, let's start a bar brawl. Yeah. I've actually read some actual play reports online of adults running for eight-year-olds, and they say yeah. they're just basically sociopaths yes. acting out their worst impulses. Like, like and irrational look, as well, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No irrational clear decision-making. No, they're, they're really trying everything, pulling all the levers yeah, <laughs> to <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. And, you know, like as a, as a 10-year-old GM, you sort of, you know, you draw this big dungeon and then you then you say you know here's a fork in the path and one of the forks leads to the dungeon the other one leads you haven't even thought about that and they're like well we're gonna go left I hadn't planned for left. <laughs> maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just shift everything that's at the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's when. No, I can't. Do but that. no, you yeah. don't. You don't think of that when you you're ten. Like that. you don't think of that till like ten years into GMing. Yeah. Yeah. my yeah. experience. Yeah, you're like I've drawn a map. At this point, it's like solid. the map is solid. You can't deviate. You know, and the answer was like maybe don't offer them a choice if you're yeah. not if you're not prepared to deal with with what's off the folly oh, sheet. Did, did, did you um, figure that out at ten? Don't offer them a choice. Uh, basically, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a, it's a lot like um, magicianship in a, in a sense, in that you're GMing, like, people complain about being on railroads, but GMing to some extent is a little bit, like, about distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About leading attention more or less towards where you feel the story. So, so was there a point... At which you went, oh, actually, there are other modes of GMing. Like other, I'm, 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 oh, not, yeah. I'm not necessarily yeah. railroading, um, but I'm guiding. Uh, was there a point where you went, oh, let's just let all these players do what they want? I think, I mean, I stopped GMing. Um, I sort of started, tried it, and then, and then had sort of the experience I did, and then stopped yeah. for a few years. And it was only later when I came back to, to um, some of the, some of the less crunchy, more storytelling stuff, and I saw other good gems kind of 
um, just roll with with stuff that I sort of was like, oh yeah, okay. And yeah. It became more of an improvisational thing and less of a less of a dungeon crawly inherited. Yeah. Like you've yeah. got to do it in yeah. this, this high fantasy sort of way. I am trying to figure out whether I want to ask a question, but that I don't have an answer to. Go on. Which is what was a moment that you saw a GM do something that made you go, holy, holy crap, the possibilities for this mm. hobby um, are much I, more massive than I expected. Yeah, I think I have one, which is, um, speaking of railroads, uh, our friend Luke Walker runs incredible high fantasy anime-inspired games. Uh, they're a one-off, mm. and it's one story, and you get given your character, and the character has a ton of backstory and secrets and stuff, and um, you, you play it, and it's not exactly a railroad because he he'll tell you where you are in the story. You're now in the market with this other person, but what you do in that scene is up to you. Mm. And you build those relationships and you uncover each other's secrets. But the story's always going to have those same kind of the big scenes yeah. and the same beats because he has a specific story he wants to tell. Yeah. And even knowing that, it's a fantastic experience to play because it's such a well-realized world yeah. and you've got such deep characters and instant connections between them because of the way they've written them that I was just sitting there like we played it one afternoon I think it was a play test before Capcom and I was just like crying and <laughs> had had really um, deep emotions for the other player characters um, which I did not expect going in Yeah, it's sort of something that, that Telltale have really um, to move mm. over to computer games have really um, done where they've they've given they've given a lot of the illusion of control and agency. Yeah, and when you play it back, yeah, it is, it's the same kind of thing. Actually, yeah. you have you do have less um, less choices possibly than you feel like you have yeah, at right. the time. Mm. But they're very very good at directing your attention and offering enough meaningful choices. Yeah. about how you play the scene. Yeah, that. Actually, it really doesn't matter that, that you know it always ends in, in one of two places. We, um, Janie and I, played a game back in 2000, just talking, I guess, <laughs> um, <laughs> back in 2003, which was uh, Universalist. Yes. And so it's GMless, and I think that's kind of, that expanded my understanding mm. yeah, of what was possible. Definitely. Because that storyline started as a very focused fairy tale with a talking fox and two orphaned children mm-hmm. who lived in a forest. This is the Russian fairy tale Russian, she had Russian very little memory of, but, but you do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> because over the course of those six weeks that we, six sessions that we played it, the scope of it expanded out entirely through no GM, but players just generating conflicts and putting ideas in one at a time and building on each other's ideas until we had a really complicated mythology. We had at least three layers of generational conflicts going on. There was like a magic system in there and there was so, there was even someone who was trying to um, not be a rules lawyer a power gamer someone who was trying to power game the system to make sure that every um, so it was basically that I do remember you remember that yeah <laughs> over six weeks it was like we saw I saw an entire world bloom plus an entire how do we manipulate the system to yeah. try yeah it was amazing it was nuts it was like, if you haven't played it before it's a little bit like Flux the role playing game in the sense Ooh. that you get to modify the rules of the game if right. you want to so there are defined 
rules about how you might add law. That yeah. you decide for yourself at the start, right? Uh, yep. You, 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 yeah. There's some guidelines. You, you, you say here are some principles to the universe, yep. like some tenets mm. that we want to obey, and here is here is a base set of rules that we want mm. to do, but anything is modifiable mm. in it. Like a character, you can add yeah. or subtract to a character, you can kind of add or subtract to the setting, and you can add or subtract to the rules, and they all use the same can you do that? Mechanism. Can you do that as you go? Yeah, mid scene. <laughs> and does that? I mean, does that mean that you have to retcon things, or how does that um, work? Not usually. Not in my experience. Like I think it would be a two phase thing. The first would be you say I want to modify the rules, mm. and then that opens it up to being challenged, and people can challenge it because they think that rule is dumb or it's over overpowered, or it needs retconning. You've been listening to the Hearts and Dice podcast hosted by Jamie Sands, Daniel Zollinger and me, Steve Hickey. If you want to get in touch with us, you can use our social media accounts. That's at Hearts and Dice, all spelled out on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us on heartsanddice at gmail.com and our Facebook page is Hearts and Dice podcast. Thanks for listening.